You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. We are here in world-famous Study Room 3 of the Portsmouth Public Library on the historic New Hampshire seacoast. And with me today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, photographer, teacher, and volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Thanks for being back with me today, Michelle. How's the lighthouse season going so far? It's going really well so far, Jeremy. We've had three tours so far and lots of wonderful visitors to the lighthouse. The second week of tours, we were joined by the Piscataqua Rangers Junior Fife and Drums Corps, which added lots of entertainment to our open house that day. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed seeing that. Of course, you were stuck over by the base of the lighthouse. You didn't get to see them real well, but I had fun watching them march around. It was uh, nice to listen to them as well. For, I could hear them very well from the base. Yeah, they were they were a lot of fun. And people can look actually look on our Facebook page, the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse's Facebook page, and see some videos of that uh, drum and fife corps, the young uh, students, young kids actually uh, playing fife and drum, and they were surprisingly good. Uh, a little later in today's edition of Lighthearted, we're going to hear from Erin Cora of the Friends of Lime Kiln Society in Washington State about an event that's coming up soon. Also in this episode, and in the episode we'll be posting later in the week, we're going to hear my interviews with people at two different lighthouses where the public can stay overnight. Lighthouses with overnight accommodations have a great advantage. It's really a good way for a lighthouse to be self-supporting. Have you stayed overnight in any lighthouses, Michelle? I haven't yet, Jeremy, but I definitely plan to in the very near future. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorites that you could recommend to me? Uh, Well, I've stayed at a few, but I have to admit uh, that I've probably stayed overnight at more lighthouses uh, because I was taking part in paranormal investigations than... uh, than actually to sleep at them. Well, <laughs> I don't that know if that sounds, counts. That sounds like a pretty eventful evening spent at a lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can get into that in a future edition of Lighthearted. But sounds I ha- good. But I have slept at a few lighthouses, too. In fact, I've slept a couple of times at the uh, Point No Point Lighthouse in Washington, which is the headquarters of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. That's a great place to uh, spend a, a few nights. Uh, the interview we're going to listen to in uh, a few minutes is with Nick Korstad, the owner of Big Bay Point Lighthouse in Michigan. I have not stayed there yet, but I'm hoping to have that opportunity at some point. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners more about Big Bay Point Lighthouse and Nick Korstad. Why, certainly, Jeremy. Big Bay Point Lighthouse stands on a bluff on Michigan's Upper Peninsula, about 24 miles northwest of Marquette on Lake Superior. The building includes a two-story brick keeper's house with an attached 60-foot tower that puts the light 105 feet above the lake. The light went into service in 1896, originally with a three and a half order Fresnel lens. There was also a fog signal building with a steam-operated foghorn. The light was deactivated in 1961, and the property was sold in private ownership. The first private owner was John Pick, a plastic surgeon from Chicago, who bought the property for $40,000. Dr. Pick spent 17 years renovating the lighthouse, which was in terrible condition after being abandoned for some years. Later owners turned the lighthouse into a bed and breakfast inn in 1986. The new owner since May 2018 is Nick Korstad. Prior to purchasing Big Bay Point Lighthouse, Nick bought and restored Borden Flats Lighthouse in Fall River, Massachusetts, a project for which he was featured on several national TV shows and received a Keeper of the Light Award from the American Lighthouse Foundation. Nick is also the owner of the historic Spectacle Reef Lighthouse in Lake Huron, Michigan. 
I spoke with Nick Korstad on the phone this past March, and we're going to listen to that conversation now. Thanks so much for joining me today, Nick. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me on. So, Nick, uh, it must be a very pleasant relief to be running a lighthouse uh, B&B on the mainland instead of one out in the middle of the water like you used to do at Borden Flats. So uh, how are you enjoying uh, life at the Big Bay Point Lighthouse in Michigan? I'd have to say uh, it's been a lot more fun uh, than dealing with the offshore lighthouse. Um, I almost feel like I'm semi-retired now, not having to have the boat and the schedule and the licensing that was required by the Coast Guard. Uh, but the view here is amazing. So I wake up every morning, I'm making breakfast, I'm looking out at uh, all the wildlife, the forest, the lake. And you know, sometimes you know, I have to, have to kind of pinch myself to see if I'm still in reality. But I have to say that uh, this, this beats the offshore lifestyle by more than 100%. Although I, I should point out that we're actually recording this on, let's see, today is March 3rd. And we were, uh, when we started to, before we started recording, uh, you told me that you've had more than 200, 200 inches of snow this winter, which is a little different from uh, Borden Flats and, and Fall River, Massachusetts. So you have had a, a something new to deal with with all that snow, which has made life interesting this winter. Yes. Definitely. And it, it's something that I, I, I now know how to use a snow plow and a <laughs> snow blower and every kind of snow shovel that was invented. And uh, what was funny was my first year in uh, New England was one of the warmest years. It was 2011, 2012. And I think we got three inches of snow. But then that followed by, I think it was 2014, where we had like 150 inches of snow that winter. Right. And so yep. I'm, it has followed me here for this first year. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you you had uh, you did have a lot of challenges with Warden Flats Lighthouses, no doubt about it, being surrounded by water. Uh, it's always under assault from the ocean and the elements. Uh, you, ha- you have obviously challenges, including the snow and weather at, at Big Bay Point Lighthouse. So, uh, can you say a little bit about what you know? What what challenges are similar with with Big Bay Point, and uh, what challenges are different there? I'd say uh, my main uh, challenges that I had with uh, Born Flats that I have here was uh, the climate change. And I know a lot of people don't, you know, see climate change as a factor, but um, at Warren Flats, it was the sea level raising. And, uh, you know, that lighthouse had that lower foundation that had been added after the 38 hurricane. And what we're facing here is that our um, lake levels are historically high levels. And we sit on a cliff overlooking the lake. And even though we, the cliff is mostly rock at the base, you know, the waves and everything they're driving into the sandstone are slowly, you know, creeping that cliff a little bit closer to the house. And so that's something that I'm having to look at this year and, you know, study the cliff. You know, we've taken down all the trees so that, you know, it's not, you know, causing any erosion from wind and rocking. Um, but I say that's, you know, the biggest problem I'm going to be facing in the future is, you know, keeping, you know, erosion at bay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's always a challenge with, I guess, any lighthouse. They're always built in a remote location and the most you know, sought out fringe that they could put it on. So uh, can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about what they can expect if they book a stay at the Big Bay Point Lighthouse B&B, which is, uh, we haven't actually set up, but it is open year round. Uh, What are the accommodations like there? 
So here uh, we have seven guest rooms. Uh, we have three of our large keeper rooms that have fireplaces. And um, our rooms are a lot larger than a typical hotel room. So when they did separate, uh, the house used to be a duplex, so they conjoined into one large home. So all our rooms have their own bathrooms, private spaces, um, and in the process of renovating all the rooms. So most of our rooms will have couches, seating areas, uh, queen-size beds, all brand-new bedding. And uh, most of our rooms actually look right out onto Lake Superior now. And uh, I cook a full breakfast for everyone in the morning. I'll make them snacks, cookies, brownies in the evening. And then I'm around, I'm out, you know, getting the grounds going, gardening, and I'm here to answer questions. So a lot of people, I've had a lot of people, that repeat guests, that they're kind of excited that I actually make them breakfast now, whereas at Barn Flats, you had to bring everything and, you know, do it yourself. So you can expect quiet, lots of nature. Uh, we do get northern lights out here, and we have amazing sunrises and sunsets. You say lots of nature, uh, any particular wildlife that people are likely to see there? Uh, we've had bear in our yard. Uh, you can see moose. Uh, deer, elk. Uh, we have a porcupine that lives on site. <laughs> lots and lots of birds. Uh, we've, I've seen cardinals. Um, I saw an intigo bunting, which I guess is not a common bird here. So it's kind of showing how weather patterns are changing and we're getting different uh, bird species. Uh, but you can see out and, you know, we have sandhill cranes that are in the area hmm. and they're almost prehistoric looking. They're like yeah. as tall as you are. So I've seen them. I've seen them in zoos. Yeah. yeah. I've seen them in zoos. But not in the wild. Yeah. Huh. Wow. You're like, they want to look at you and you're like, holy moly, what the heck is that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, they so are it, big. It, it's, it's kind of like the Alaska of the North, or not the Northwest, of uh, the Midwest, where it's just, it's so cool to see all this type of stuff. You know, living in New England, it's kind of like they had cut all the trees down and the, there was, you know, no wildlife left. And to come here and go out in the yard and, you know, just, you know, we have two active eagles that fly over the lighthouse on a daily basis. So, you know, that's the stuff that, you know, you feel blessed to be able to be here in CA. Mm-hmm. A little bit different from Fall River, Mass, for sure. Um, and they're they're tearing down those cooling towers, too, this year. So that would be a good thing for if you guys decide to go and stay at the Barn Flats Lighthouse. <laughs> now, uh, are there any uh, special deals at Big Bay Point you might like uh, listeners to know about? Yeah. So if any listeners that listen to this uh, podcast, if they call me and let me know that they're listening and uh, drop Jeremy's name, I will give them 15% off their stay. Aha. Okay. So but they uh, have to mention Jeremy's name. Okay. So let's repeat that. So if uh, listeners contact Nick at the Big Bay Point uh, Lighthouse B&B, they have to mention my name, Jeremy. They, they they might have trouble with my last name, which is Dontremont. So it's okay if they say they, they heard on uh, the U.S. Lighthouse Society podcast, which is called Lighthearted. They heard uh, uh, Jeremy say uh, they can get a, a, a discount if they mention mention me. So they don't need to say Dontremont, right? They can just say uh, <laughs> Jeremy is good enough. Is that is that okay? Yeah, Jeremy's great. Yeah, if they, and if, you know, they might get an extra percent if they can pronounce your last name you know, correctly. <laughs> okay, and if they if they <laughs> if they pronounce it with a French accent, that's even better because I I don't even yes. bother doing that. But anyway, um, so uh, what about um, people who are visiting the area but they may not be uh, you know in the market for an overnight stay at your lighthouse? <clears throat> Excuse me. Can they can they uh, visit the lighthouse and get a tour of the lighthouse if they're not staying overnight? Is that possible? Yeah. So we have our grounds open daily starting at 10 a.m. And uh, I have a, a local girl that 
comes after she should be getting out of school around uh, the first of June. And so we try and offer daily tours, you know, June through October. And um, we start around noon till about four o'clock when check-in is. And it's usually first come, first serve. We take up to five people at a time. We take them through the keeper's house and then all the way up to the top of the tower. And uh, this summer we'll be working at getting our uh, third order lens, which we own, uh, back into the lighthouse. So uh, we're hopefully going to plan in a, a relighting ceremony maybe this October. Oh, that's great. Congratulations on that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, anything else before we conclude this conversation? Anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about the Big Bay Point Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast? Uh, the, if, if you've ever want to stay in a bed and breakfast, uh, we offer a site that has been untouched. So we're not surrounded by homes. We still have all of our original buildings aside from our barn. So when you look out the property, you look out at Lake Superior, you're seeing it as it was when there were lighthouse keepers out here. I know a lot of lighthouses you travel to, they have that picture that you see on every calendar and you get there and you turn every direction. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, the corporate world has just, you know, embarked on this lighthouse. But when you get here, you come up the driveway and you don't see anything but what you were meant to see when, you know, you're a lighthouse keeper. Sounds good to me. And how uh, can people, what's the easiest way for them to get more information uh, online? Uh, yeah, easiest way is just from our website, bigbaylighthouse.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're in the process of upgrading our website right now. So it should be launched up by the summer with uh, all new pictures and everything. Excellent. Well, Nick, thank you so much. And I know we'll be talking more in the future. And uh, we're talking about uh, the possibility of me making a visit there in the future. So I hope we'll be talking in person at that point, uh, maybe in the fall. So thanks so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. And now it's time for our Lighthouse History segment. For several episodes of this podcast, we've been talking about some of the world's oldest lighthouses that are still in existence. Today we'll be talking about the Cordouan Lighthouse in France, which was built between 1584 and 1611. Not only is the Cordouan Lighthouse the oldest lighthouse in France and one of the oldest in the world, but it's the 10th tallest masonry lighthouse in the world at 223 feet. It's been called the Lighthouse of Kings and the Versailles of the Sea. The lighthouse is located on a small island near the mouth of the Gironde Estuary off the west coast of France, about 7 kilometers or 4.3 miles offshore. Although there have been minor beacons on the site, the first true lighthouse was built by Order of Edward, Prince of Wales. The 48-foot tower had a wood fire on top, maintained by a hermit, and the lighthouse was financed by a tax paid by passing ships. The structure was in bad condition by the late 1500s, leading to the construction of the lighthouse that still stands today. The new lighthouse was designed by the leading Paris architect, Louis de Foix, and is considered a Renaissance masterpiece. Defoy designed a wide base, 135 feet in diameter, to withstand the constant onslaught of the sea. The lighthouse originally stood four stories above the base for a total height of 162 feet and included apartments for four keepers and a chapel on its third level. The light was produced by burning oak chips in a metal container. It was first lighted on June 11, 1611. 
By 1664, the fuel was changed to whale oil. To increase the light's visibility, nearly two centuries after its construction, Louis XVI ordered that the tower be raised to its present height of 223 feet in 1790. In 1823, one of the earliest Fresnel lenses was installed in its lantern. The lighthouse was restored in 1855 and was made a historical monument in 1862, the same year as the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. It was converted to electricity in 1948 and it was automated in 2006. There are still two resident keepers, but they are employed mostly to serve as tour guides. Quote, it's the sea that lulls us to sleep at night, unquote, said one of the recent keepers, and it's the sun that wakes us up in the morning. We live with the moon because it pushes back the tides. To work in a lighthouse is great, unquote, he said. The lighthouse is open to the public from Easter to November 1st, only at low tide. There are excursion boats that take visitors to Cordoan from several locations. The captain of the vessel tries to land passengers as close as possible to the lighthouse, but there's usually a 15 to 20 minute walk required. And visitors may find themselves wading up to thigh deep in water and sometimes walking on slippery rocks. And once you make it to the lighthouse tower and its monumental entrance door, there are 311 steps to get to the top. One website advises, bear in mind that you are visiting a site unlike any other in the world, one that offers a new experience with every visit. There are a number of websites with information, although most of them are in French. But if you Google Cordouan Lighthouse, you'll find plenty of information in English. Next time we're going to talk about one of the most famous lighthouses in the world, Eddystone Light in England. Next, we want to tell you about a celebration that's coming up in the Pacific Northwest on Sunday, June 30th. The San Juan Islands are an archipelago in the state of Washington known for their landscapes and wildlife. Limekiln Point State Park on the west side of San Juan Island is considered one of the best places in the world to view wild orcas. Another attraction in the park is the Limekiln Lighthouse. The lighthouse overlooking Harrow Strait was built in 1919. It's a 38-foot octagonal concrete tower attached to a fog signal building. It was the subject of an article by Eleanor DeWire in the winter 2019 issue of the U.S. Lighthouse Society's quarterly journal, The Keeper's Log. I had an opportunity to speak on the phone with Erin Cora, founder and executive director of the Friends of Limekiln Society, about that event that's coming up. Let's listen to that conversation. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Aaron. I appreciate you uh, talking with me. Uh, so first, thank you. Uh, so first, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about the basic history of Limekiln Lighthouse? Uh, maybe we could start with uh, where the name of the lighthouse comes from. Yeah, Limekiln Point. Um, actually, the initial industry there was the Limekiln operation, where the limestone was mined out of the hillsides and the island there. And um, there's a full operation for close to 90 years there, um, starting in the 1860s and then kind of wrapped up around the 1950s. So the lighthouse popped in there midway through. And um, so that's kind of how that whole area got named. 
was after the the lime kiln operation that that occurred there. Mm-hmm. And the uh, lighthouse was, of course, built in 1919, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Um, and 1914 is when there was a first. It was first established as a light station, and there was a, a small beacon that was put there. But then um, by 1919, actually June 30th, 1919, the um, the main lighthouse that still is there now um, was was first lit, was built and lit by 19 um, uh, June 30th, <laughs> 1919. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what makes this such a special year in 2019. Uh, so we can celebrate the fact that it's 100. Right. Anything else uh, significant about the history of Lime Kiln Lighthouse you'd like to tell us about? Um, yeah, well, by 1951, uh, the the island finally got electricity and, and it reached its way out to the Limecombe Point as well. So they finally got electricity out there. And then by 1962, the lighthouse was fully automated. So the lighthouse keepers and the keepers assistants um, and their families were no longer as needed there. There were still keepers there, but not to the degree as before. And um, now it's it's actually the keepers' quarters are um, housing the the parks, the state parks employees and and uh, volunteers. Uh, so they're still nicely lived in, but um, yeah, not quite the same as the, back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now uh, let's talk about the celebration that's happening on June thirtieth. Uh, obviously, the reason is that it is the centennial of the first lighting of the the lighthouse. So tell us about what's going to happen. Looks like there's quite a bit happening at this celebration. Yeah, yeah, we definitely picked a June 30th, 2019, just because it is exactly 100 years later from the initial lighting. And um, so we're really excited about the fact that it, it lands right on a Sunday and it's right in a good time of the year for us, too. So everyone's coming here for the 4th of July celebrations that happen. So it's it's going to be a really busy weekend. But um, having it on a Sunday afternoon and evening is, is perfect. And we've got um, we've got a Coast Guard Admiral that's going to come and give a keynote as well as um, a park commissioner from Olympia and our own um, area manager, park area manager coming to to be a part of that. And our mayor from Friday Harbor, he's going to be offering some kind words in support of what we do at the park and how the lighthouse is inspiring. And then also our very own favorite lighthouse queen, Eleanor DeWire, he's going to be there and um, offering some fun anecdote and stories. And um, likewise, Chad Kaiser, a wonderful expert in our local area that helps run um, the new Dungeness Lighthouse Station as well. So he's coming up and going to be part of the festivities. Um, So that's going to be kind of right in between 3 and 5 p.m. when we want to have the keynotes and all the sharing going on in that regard. And then from about 5 p.m. on, we're going to have music, local musicians, Dana Lyons, a, a local musician from Bellingham that's well-known in the area, and some other really fun local um, tunes going on just to kind of fill the air for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we'll also be doing some tours to the top of the lighthouse and offering fun stories there about our our love and inspiration with the lighthouse. And then Another really fun part is we're going to have more like community booths. So um, different community organizations that are, that the theme is past, present, and future partnerships of the park and the lighthouse. 
So um, reinforcing the ones we already have, opening up to new partnerships. The the lighthouse and the the park is an amazing platform for education, stewardship, and inspiration for all. We we got three hundred fifty thousand people from forty different countries that visit the park annually, and primarily you know June through September. So you know the more we can kind of partner up with different organizations, the better as a, as a wonderful platform for, for the community and, and really the world. It's such a destination. So um, just really wanting to bring that element in and, and we all love the lighthouse and lighthouse is iconic in the community and at large as well in the state. So just wanting to see that as an opportunity for people to come celebrate that way. Mm-hmm. And um, we're also going to have, interpretive center open with our gift shop we have a special anniversary wine label with a local winemaker here um, mike sheridan with mike's wine bar and um yeah i really i'm hoping we can also pull together the culinary community uh here in the island and do a a special edible lighthouse contest where if it's food and it looks like limekiln lighthouse throw it on the table and we're going to have a voting contest Wow. And um, yeah, have some fun with that and, and celebrate with our taste buds a little bit. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And, and then we're going to also have some live art and um, a, a fun kiddo zone where where we can have different organizations show, show a little bit more about the wildlife and the, the fun critters that we live with here on the island and do mm-hmm. some showing telling there. And, and yeah, also definitely bring some more art into the park and, um, we have a beautiful um, poster that was made by one of our own board members, Pamela Hoke. And um, so she's going to be there doing some live art. And we're going to just have some crafty stuff going on for, for kids and families to come and enjoy as well. Well, that sounds like a really great event. There's so much going on. I actually didn't realize mm-hmm. that uh, two friends of mine, Eleanor DeWire and Chad Kaiser, will be there as part of the event. I'm sure uh, people will love uh, meeting them and hearing them speak. Uh, they're both wonderful great great lighthouse people so that's that's wonderful to hear so sounds like a a fantastic event uh and again uh when when does the event get started on june 30th yeah june 30th 3 p.m is when it kind of kicks off Mm -hmm. and then it it really is going to go all the way through to sunset Mm -hmm. and um i've also spoken with a lot of the different mariners in the area we're going to have the county um the county sheriff boat go by we're, we're you know having a little bit of a boat parade whenever the boats can come on by the lighthouse and and um, show off their their waterworks or their blast a cannon or anything like that just kind of commemorating their beautiful beacon um and that's of course if the whales are not visiting at the same time because we also we're hoping that our favorite finned friends will be coming by and and sharing the celebration um, energy as well yeah. <laughs> Well, that would be great. Uh, so uh, if we could uh, just uh, maybe uh, finish up here. For, well, there's a website I know. We want to mention that. I'm, I actually have it right in front of me right now. It's kind of a long address to tell people. But if they if they Google uh, the uh, Lime Kiln Point Lighthouse Centennial Celebration, I'm sure they'll find it very easily. But there's a, a website that lists all the events that are going on. There's probably a Facebook page as well, I would imagine, that has a lot of uh, information about it as, as well. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and Jeremy, actually, our our um, website URL has shortened 
Um, okay. we, if, if people actually go to folksji.org, okay. so it's folksji.org, that actually will get them to the, our website and they can go, they can find our website um, information and Facebook page and um, links to all kinds of things from there. Then, then definitely they can, and obviously any Google search with the Lime Kiln Lighthouse Centennial will come up with all kinds of fun information and also are, you know, more specific and any kind of updates regarding the, the event as we grow closer to it. Okay. And uh, would you like to add something more about the uh, Friends of Lime Kiln Society? Obviously, you do more than uh, just the lighthouse. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's park-wide and community-wide, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I started Folks, Friends of Lime Kiln Society in, in 2011, um, when when uh, a lot of the budget cuts were eliminating different positions and programs in the park. So that was basically um, something that I was already um, operating and helping in the park as interpreter specialist. And so I, I a group of um, volunteers in the community and myself just got together and, and made a plan to continue to keep the interpreter center open and the programs and the volunteer efforts alive in the park. Um, through private funding and and mainly the the gift shop and the interpretive center is our operating budget, along with different fundraising efforts and grants. But um, yeah, so it's 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 really community based organization and um, you know, getting the manpower in the park to deepen that connection with all those visitors coming from around the world to this place that we love and and really building a stewardship message and trying to. Um, just build that that connection anywhere and every every place we can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Uh, and uh, just uh, to wrap things up, I'll just uh, say one more time that uh, you know I hope you have a great turnout. I'm sure you're going to have a great turnout. It's, it just sounds like such a fantastic event on June 30th. So I wish you all the best with that. I want to thank you for spending uh, time with us today. Thank you, Aaron Cora, the uh, founder and executive director of the Friends of Lime Kiln Society, folks. Uh, so, uh, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And now it's time for our trivia question. The first two people to answer the following question correctly will win prizes. Okay, Michelle, what is today's question? Here is the question. Before he bought Big Bay Point Lighthouse in Michigan... What lighthouse in Massachusetts did Nick Corstad buy and restore? Again, before he bought Big Bay Point Lighthouse in Michigan, what lighthouse in Massachusetts did Nick Corstad buy and restore? If you've been listening carefully to this edition of Lighthearted, you should know the answer to that question. The first person to answer correctly gets a 2019 U.S. Lighthouse Society calendar with beautiful photos by talented U.S. LHS members. The second gets a Lighthouse Illumination DVD which takes you on a tour through the history of lighthouse illumination. To enter, send your answer in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. Be sure to say that you are answering the trivia question in the Lighthearted Episode 7. And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's jeremy at uslhs.org. And again, the first two people to answer correctly will win prizes. That's it for another edition of Lighthearted. We want to thank the staff at the Portsmouth Public Library, and thanks to the staff, volunteers, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. 
To learn more about the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all of the great tours they offer, visit the website at uslhs.org. You can also visit their social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I want to mention a new feature on the USLHS website, the J. Candace Clifford Research Catalog. It premiered in May and is the largest collection of information on lighthouses in the U.S. currently available on the internet. I strongly urge you to check it out again at uslhs.org. And hello to everyone in the Friends of New England Lighthouses Facebook group. And I also want to thank our guests uh, we had today, uh, Nick Korstad, owner of the Big Bay Point Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast in Michigan. Check out the website at bigbaylighthouse.com. And also uh, Aaron Cora of the Lime Kiln Society. Uh, Check out uh, the Lime Kiln Lighthouse Centennial Celebration that's coming out on June 30th. I hope those of you in that area will go to that. It sounds like a fantastic event. And, of course, I want to thank my co-host today, Michelle Jewell Shaw. Anything you'd like to add, Michelle? I would like to add a couple of things, Jeremy. I'm hoping to see lots of people make it out to the lighthouse for our open houses. We're open every Sunday now until Columbus Day from 1 to 5. That's Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, that is. Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, that is. (laughs) In beautiful Newcastle, New Hampshire, on our lovely New Hampshire seacoast. And as always, thanks for listening and keep a good light.